0: Listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay.
1: So today I'm actually super excited because we have one of my favorite people in the world on the podcast. For those of you who have listened and heard us talk about people who have had the most influence on us, the gentleman we have on today is at the top of my list. So I want to introduce Blair Ends. Blair is the proud owner of a bait shop in Coslo, B.C. (laughs) Oh, you don't know how funny that
2: is. There's a story there, but go on.
1: (laughs) So since we're doing a series on professional services selling, I thought, you know, who better to have on than the guy that sells bait for a living and has has the most successful bait shop in North America. So you can tell the backstory now.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know if you're thinking the same backstory as I am, but I live in a <laughs> little remote mountain village of less than a thousand people in British Columbia, Canada. We're a short 11 hour drive from Vancouver. And I've been here for 20 years. And when I discovered this place and I was trying to figure out how, like, how can I uproot my young family and move to this beautiful little piece of paradise that what I thought I would end up doing was buying the local fly shop, the tackle shop. So not so much live bait, but <laughs> hand tied flies for fly fishing. And that's what I thought I was going to do. That or, and I I would be horrible in retail because I'm not very good at customer service that or build furniture. And I'm not very good at building things, but I didn't know that at a time. And then I ended up being a consultant.
1: <laughs> a consultant. So he, Jeff, he says this like, oh, I ended up being a consultant. So let, let me actually give him a proper introduction. That was just kind of for my own humor. Blair owns the sales trading firm, When Without Pitching. Blair is honestly the leading global expert on, I'll just say pricing and selling in creative services firms. He's authored two books, they're high-selling books. I won't give details. Blair can certainly talk about that. But Blair was just a really a prolific thinker on on how to affect the sales conversation in a in a complex B two B sale. So Blair's here to join us talk about value-based pricing. And actually, I kind of broaden out to say value-based selling. I actually think calling it pricing is too narrow. I think it's 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 changing your mindsets on selling is really what we're going to talk about. But so Blair, I don't know how much more you want to tell about your backstory. I don't know if I ruined the whole thing or not. But
2: so I grew up in. In the advertising and design world, I was in account management in initially a full-service marketing communication firm. I was handed business development responsibilities when I was still 22 years old. I wasn't very good at it, but my boss said, you seem fearless. We're going to put you in charge of new business. Which was silly, but the idea that I was account, an account manager at twenty two and he said I, had, I was handed eleven clients, and my boss said to me, "Your job is to know your clients' businesses better than they know them." Mm-hmm. And I thought, "That's ridiculous. Like I had a railroad, snowmobile company, uh, grain marketing board, like all these like weird, diverse businesses. So I guess you know I went from one silly role to another silly role, uh, and then I went on to work for one of the largest ad agents, a couple of the largest ad agencies in the world so i've i've been in the account management and business development side of advertising and design i think i did that for about a dozen years and then after a dozen years i moved to caslow bc and i needed to find a way to earn a living here so i launched a consulting practice i called it win without pitching so it's sales training or new business development training for Creative professionals. And in 2013, I changed the business model from a solo consulting practice to a scaled up training company. And that's where we are today. So, One Without Pitching is a sales training organization for creative professionals.
3: Before any of our listeners think about jumping off, because Blair just said creative professionals, agencies, that type of thing, do not jump off because this is, as Jason said, the best thinking on pricing and it is so applicable across this space. Although Blair drinks his own Kool-Aid and has focused his positioning, this point of view is applicable across the entire industry. Blair, I just heard you give a definition of creativity. So how about if you throw that out for anybody who may be thinking, well, I'm not a creative. Oh, I, yeah, I don't know if I gave a definition.
2: I So there are lots of definitions for creativity, and many of them conflict with each other. I subscribe to Mahayicicent Mahay's definition. He's the gentleman who wrote the book, coined the term flow or flow state. He wrote a book called Flow. He's a psychologist. I don't know if he's still alive or even still teaching. I think he comes out of University of Chicago. And he studies or studied creativity and happiness. And his definition of creativity is, creativity is the ability to see It's not the ability to write or draw. He refers to that as personal creativity. It's really the ability to bring a novel perspective to a problem or a solution. So I think entrepreneurs in general are creative. Some people who work in the creative professions aren't that creative. I've seen the nuances of different kind of types of creativity of how it shows up differently. But to me, creativity is simply the ability to see, to bring a novel perspective to a problem and creative people therefore tend to be drawn to diverse problem sets they tend to want to solve the problem they have not previously solved and so that's kind of that's a hallmark of mm. creativity another hallmark of creativity that goes hand in hand with this ability to see is the ability to think on your feet so creative people tend to be really strong presenters they love being in situations where they're at the front of the room they're doing the big reveal and they love not knowing They're kind of standing at the precipice and like, and doing this big reveal, and then not knowing if the response from the client is going to be one of adulation or dismay. And they're, they kind of get addicted to the adrenaline rush of that presentation moment.
3: I remember reading that in your book, and that can be a bad thing getting hooked on that addiction. I should
1: comment. So, real quick, so Blair has written two books. His first book is called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. And it really is, it's a manifesto, you know, to reinvent the way that that creative services firms sell their services and, and, and operate their businesses. Actually, I should take it more broadly. His most recent book is on pricing. And I'll, I'll say this real quick. Anybody that listens to this podcast that's ever worked with me or talked to me, you've experienced Blair's philosophy on pricing and his philosophy on positioning. So having spent a lot of time with your thinking on pricing and with you directly on, on pricing, one of my favorite phrases that you use is this notion that pricing is a prison cell in your own mind. I may not have that exactly right, but but I just wanted to talk about that philosophy and what it means.
2: Yeah, it's a prison cell in your mind of your own making. We all very quickly get a sense that the prices that we're charging are within a very narrow band of what the market will bear.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: We all get this sense, and the longer we do this, whatever this is, the more we get the sense that oh yeah, it's like there's not very much room to move here, but. You know, you guys probably see this too. As an a, as an advisor to different professional firms and knowledge based businesses, I'll see two different firms doing essentially the same thing for the same market, charging drastically different prices. Sometimes one firm is charging multiples of what the other firm is charging. So, I had a pre pandemic, probably the last social visit I had with a client. Pre-pandemic, I was visiting with a couple of people that I'd worked with way back, like in two thousand and three. I'd worked with them for the first time, and we were reminiscing. We were at a bar in Austin, and we were reminiscing about the old days when we were all young and stupid. And they were laughing and saying, "Remember when you, we used to do branding and you you came and we used to charge fifteen thousand dollars for like logo work, identity yeah. development?" And Blair, you said to us, "Just double your price. Next one you would price, double it, and just keep doubling your price." So. They're laughing, saying we went from fifteen to thirty to sixty to one hundred to two hundred and forty thousand dollars for what we used to sell for fifteen thousand, exactly the same thing. And they're laughing and I'm thinking, Oh, that's bad advice. (laughs) I mean it's not it's not horrible advice because what it does is it proves to you that if you just, and I'm not saying that's universal advice that everybody can follow, but I, I still give it to this day and, and some people have a hard time with it. It's like, just double your price, see what happens. The the information that you get back will be really valuable. So they kept doubling their prices and they realize oh they we're trapped in what we thought was this really narrow band but they got to many multiples of that price and the reason i thought that's well that's looking back i thought that's bad advice is they're simply expanding the cells of the prison wall hmm. right they're expanding the size of the cell which is a good thing and so what i realize now is when when people go from this cost plus based pricing to value based pricing the first parts of the transition, they're really just pushing out the walls of the cell. They're learning they can charge more, charge more, but they're still equating the price to the inputs of of time and materials. And it's not until you start to set price based on the value of what you do, the value of that service rather than the inputs or this idea of what the market will bear in air quotes. It's not until you really switch your thinking to pricing based on value that the prison cell walls disappear altogether. So I've just come to understand that at first you, you will think that the walls are disappearing, but they're not. You're just pushing them out and you, you'll you be surprised how far you can push them out. But then you'll get to some sense of, you'll, you'll find some new limits that are way past probably what you're charging now. But there is, if you keep going, just like this scene from The Matrix where everything that's physical disappears into ones and zeros, those walls can disappear entirely and you can find yourself charging you know $15,000 for one client and 1.5 million for another client and so th- that that range that's a big range and is is the amount of inputs the amount of time you're putting into it the same for both no probably not is the service exactly the same no is what the client buying like what they understand to be buying in their own mind the same absolutely not so it's not entirely an apples to apples conversation or sorry or comparison but it really is the spectrum of possibilities really is that big
0: you're listening to rattle and pedal divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm your hosts are jason malicki principal of rattleback the marketing agency for professional services firms and jeff mckay former cmo and founder of strategy consultancy prudent pedal if you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff.
3: I want to jump in on that 15000 to $1.5 because our listeners' heads just exploded. And they're <laughs> rationalizing. And they're rationalizing right now. It's like there's no way you could have that big of a range and be successful when a buyer's looking at three or four or five proposals. Right? And... They may be right, but we just talked on a podcast not too long ago about responding to RFPs and what that means, whether you've shaped it or not shaped it. But talk a little bit about that, how you would set up that big price difference, right? Because positioning is really a big part of all of this setup, correct? Positioning helps,
2: but once okay. you're into a conversation, you know, positioning gets you to the table for mm-hmm. consideration. But once you're at the table, it really, there's so much to talk about in so little time. It's really about how you handle the conversation. First of all, it's about how you're thinking about the client's problem. So the client comes to you probably self-diagnosed and and pre-prescribed. It's like, I know what my problem is. I know what my solution is. You sell these solutions. I want to buy, give me a price for this solution. And if we just respond that way, we let the client take the lead and we respond and go, well, okay, well, we do that solution. You know, my world might be website design, app design, a marketing campaign, et cetera. And we generally charge this much money. Well, why do you charge that much money? Well, it's either for two reasons. It's based on the inputs, like how much time we spend on it, or it's based on the market value, again, in air quotes, of the deliverable. But what it really should be based on is the value of that thing that output that the client is looking for to them that's what it really should be based on so if we if we see ourselves as professionals then we will take seriously our professional obligation to diagnose before we prescribe and if a client comes to us self-diagnosed we will push back on that diagnosis especially in my world where my clients are largely creative if creativity is the ability to see to bring a novel perspective to a problem and a client comes to you having identified the problem and the solution. They're not allowing you to bring your superpower to bear. Mm. Right? They're not allowing you to think differently about the problem and is the problem even the problem? But if you're a professional, you have a professional obligation to push back on the statement of the problem, on the self-diagnosis. Like if you're if we go into the the most revered professions, the, those that we consider to be the real professions, <laughs> law, let's say medicine. You go to your doctor and say, I've got this pain in my chest. I think I need quadruple bypass surgery. (laughs) And your surgeon says, okay, lie down. It's probably just angina, but you're the customer and the customer is always right. right? There's a word for that. That's malpractice if that that doctor operates on you in that moment. So I talk about the creative professions. We should see ourselves as professionals. And if we do, then we should take seriously our professional obligation to push back on the problem and the solution. And so that's when you start to add the greatest value. You can think more creatively about, not that just the problem as stated, but the opportunity for value creation. The opportunity for you to bring your expertise to bear, to think differently about the problem, to map out a path forward and to get paid based on the value you create or help to create. That's when the prison cell walls go away. The world of possibilities opens up.
1: You know, Blair, I, I want to jump on a nuance in there that I really, really like. I work with a lot of consulting firms, as you know, and what I've found is actually almost every consulting firm I work with does not use any form of value-based pricing. They think they do, but they don't. And the reason I say that is because what they glom onto is this idea of what you said, it's worth this much. This is the value of our work. And they apply that same philosophy of value that they, they, they say, well, yeah, we've divorced it from the cost of delivery because we've said the market will bear this amount for this type of work. And then they apply that same pricing over and over again. And I think one of the fundamental belief systems underlying your work that's so powerful is that value is in the eye of the beholder. It's just such a simple concept, but ultimately you, you price the client, not the project. I really want you to kind of talk about that because I think that's where I see firms that just don't get it. They constantly keep coming back to, well, this is, this is strat work. We do strat work this way. We charge this much. We do this work that way. We charge this much and they don't stop and go, well, what is this worth to the client and why does that matter? And I also think it's, it's, and I'm leading the, the witness a little bit, but I also think that, you know. The reason in the in the pre plan, I kind of said, it, I feel like it's about selling, not pricing, in the sense that what I've learned from you over the years is that a lot of firms approach the the, the sales conversation in a competitive environment. That the more I charge, the less you get, Mr. Client, you're, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Client. You know, the more I charge you, the more you have to pay me. Hence, it, it's a, it's a competitive battle. And I think what you teach is this kind of whole philosophy around no, you're having the wrong conversation if that's the way you're looking at this. If it's a competitive battle between you and your peers or between you and your client, you're, you're approaching it all wrong. So yeah. I'll stop talking and let you just kind of comment on that cuz I didn't really have a specific question as much as I had like just things I've heard you say over the years that have been really powerful to me in my journey and I think they're they're powerful to our listeners as well. So
2: So to your point about consultants think they're pricing based on value. There there are really only 3 things you can price and sell. You can price and sell time, like the inputs of time and materials. You can price and sell The deliverable, and that's where you feel yourself, like the actual thing that you're doing, the strategy, the plan, the app, the campaign, whatever it is. And that's where you feel constrained by market forces, the prices that market will bear. And you look at what your competitors charge for the same thing. Or you can price and sell the value to be created. So three things, inputs, outputs, outcomes, or value. And you need to be clear in your mind what you're selling. And you need to clearly communicate to the client what the client is buying. Now, I can see a principal in a consulting firm saying, yeah, I'm pricing based on value because I've looked at the price that the, the market will bear and that's the price. So that's kind of like a rudimentary take on an approach to value pricing products or productized services at scale. So like there's something like 90,000 data points that go into the price of an airline seat. You think of organizations that sell products or productized services at scale. Value-based pricing is very scientific. There's a lot of data that goes into it. You have to do these sometimes fairly sophisticated segmentation studies where you, you identify this type of client values these things and is willing to pay this much. You have to work with these kind of averages and large numbers and go, okay, this group will pay this much for this type of value or value driver, and this group will values these other things and they'll pay this much. And that's the mistake that you're describing, Jason, Is and I see this all the time. This, nobody ever talks about this. The, the fact that customized services businesses like consulting firms take too many cues from product or productized services firms like SaaS businesses that pursue scale, and have all of these trade-offs that are inherent in the pursuit of scale. When you're a customized services firm, you segment your audience in a segment of one, mm-hmm. right? So you look at the client and ask, what's the value to be created here? What's that client willing to pay for that value? Without even thinking about solution, okay, if I can help them create that value, they'll, they'll pay me this much. Now let's start. Now take profit off of the table, now I have cost. Now I can start to think about, now that I have my cost, I can start to think about solutions. We don't do that in, a, in any professional firm. We conflate price and cost. We make all of these mistakes and we make these assumptions about kind of what the market will bear. That's not real value-based pricing. And I think I was guilty of this too. The first time I heard the term and I read a little bit on value-based pricing, I thought, yeah, I'm pricing based on value. I mean, I, I told you I was a consultant who switched to a training company because I realized I was burned out on the solo consultant model and I felt like I tapped out my income and my income was about $400,000. And so I look back on that now. and I think that's just stupid. I didn't, the (laughs) idea that I, I know solo consultants who build almost 2 million a year with no administrative support. Right. So the idea that I thought, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to change my business model here. I launched a training product. I thought, oh, that sold really well. Then I, at some point I was, I was running a customized services business, a consulting firm with a scaled product that had a set, set price on it. That's when I, I was starting to learn about value-based pricing and I realized, oh, you know what? I've been doing consulting all wrong. The reason why my income was capped was I kept packaging. I had these packaged services. Like so, Jason, I, I worked with you. You were a client of mine, and you would and I don't remember the details, but this almost certainly happened. You you reach out to me and say, Hey Blair, I have these problems or these opportunities that I, I want an outside consultant to help me with. And I I listen to you for a couple of minutes, and then I quit listening and I match a product to, <laughs> to what it is that you need. And I, I quit listening and I don't even give any thought to whether or not you buying that product for me will create the value that you're looking to create. I basically leave that question to you. You'll decide if it's worth paying for, if the value is there. And then, so when I had this awakening and I realized, oh, I'm kind of stuck between models here. I looked at how- I was doing consulting and I had packaged up all my services. And to this day, there's all kinds of advice out there that you should standardize your services, you should package them up, and you should price them. That is a big mistake. If you want to do consulting properly. That's a realization I had. If I was going to continue to be a consultant, I'd have to do it properly, which would mean when you reach out to me, Jason, say, hey, I have this problem or opportunity. I want to talk to you about bringing you in as a consultant to help me. I should not be thinking about my solutions. I should be thinking about nothing other than you. What's the opportunity on the table? If I can help you with this opportunity, how much value can I help you create? And from there, I should set price and say, Jason, if I could help you create this, say 2 million in in net new recurring profit, would you pay me a million? Would you pay me half a million? Would you boom? That's what value-based pricing means. It means you set price based on value before you even think about solutions. And so the problem is you've described is like, we all, we do this long enough, we start to package up our solutions and we think we think this is the right way to go. And then we put these prices on them, whether we intend to or not. And at some point we think, oh, the, this is what the market will bear for this solution.
1: I want to pause for a sec because I want listeners to literally re-listen to that three minute sequence because Blair just described what value-based pricing is in a practical sense and how it works better than anybody on the planet. Like That three-minute sequence is the best thinking you're going to get on that topic in your lifetime. So listen to it again. I'm telling you, it's that important. Unfortunately, Blair had more to say than we had time in this episode. Join us next week for the rest of our discussion with Blair ends on positioning, expertise, and value-based pricing.